0: It's
1: exhilarating to be middle-aged and have this unlikely identity come up, not just for me, but for all of womankind, (laughs) because it's unexpected, it's anti-ageist, it's feminist, and it's au courant because of everything that's on our mind right now. So it's part of the zeitgeist. That's thrilling.
2: This is Roger Bennett, and this is the HBO Succession Podcast. The equivalent of a night on the lash at rhomboid with Roman Roy. It's a big day for the pod. First guest we've had, Grace the Show, who's not on the Roy family tree. One of the first guests we've had, who actually has any discernible skills, if I'm being honest. Her workaholic character Jerry Kilman is Waystar Royco's general counsel, the inscrutable backbone of the operation, no matter the crisis. Scandal in the cruise line, family defection, a hostile bear hug, all of it falls on the steely real politic shoulders of the smartest person in the room. She's a true boss in a sea of manboys, both repulsed by much of what she sees, but also quite pleased with the fact that she can take it as a Roy family designated driver. When you think of great consiglieres, she's right up there with the Godfather's Tom Hagen in my mind. Except she thrives in wartime. With glasses perpetually atop her nose, Jerry is a walking meme. Her smirks and side glances have made her scene-stealing abilities the real cult star of season two. A stone-cold killer and a really good job doer, according to Roman. A man who gets to know her better than most.
1: You are a revolting little worm, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I am. You little slime puppy.
2: Slime puppy. Oh, life wisdoms from a Broadway veteran known for her roles in magical TV fairs such as True Blood and Rectify. It's a delight and a wonder to welcome Tony-nominated actress, Jay Smith Cameron.
1: (laughs) Hi, Roger.
2: Welcome, Jay. Jerry, what... (laughs) character she is. Would it be fair to say that being general counsel at Waystar Royco amounts to navigating chaos, clearing up carnage, essentially babysitting the entire Roy family?
1: That's very well put. That's exactly right.
2: A role you were born to play, raised in Greenville, South Carolina, G Vegas, a place that didn't have its own theatre company. You've said of your youth... I always knew I was a kind of closet actress. Tell us how.
1: My big sister acted in school plays and community theater, and I played the violin. I was supposed to be the musical one, went along with my little shy wallflower personality I had. And then the high school that I went to decided to do the Diary of Anne Frank. And I got challenged to audition for Anne, and I got the part. And about that time, I got contact lenses. My whole personality bloomed. Do you know what I
2: mean? Contact lenses are the ultimate superpower. Yeah. Especially for someone like you who self-describes as being a shy, modest kid. And you've said acting gave you an immediate buzz because you just loved and thrived being in front of an audience. And I found this fascinating, Jay. You once said that the most formative acting advice you've ever given, and this is life advice really, was be bold. Who gave it to you? And what did it mean to you at the time?
1: I made this this crazy road trip with my best friend to L.A. Theoretically for pilot season, but just an excuse to get out of New York City. My mom had just read Lawrence Olivier's biography, where he talked about being—I forgot the adjective he used—outrageous. I think be outrageous. And so my mom—I have it somewhere on videotape—her waving in the window. She's like, "Remember, Lawrence Olivier says, be outrageous." <laughs> It's so sweet, and I still find it a little hard to do, but I remember that advice. A good thing for somebody who's shy or careful.
2: You were definitely bold when you auditioned for the part of Jerry Kilman. It was originally conceived of as a male role, right?
1: Yeah, with a J and a Y. They decided to audition some women. The lines were written to be Roman and Kendall being obnoxious to a fellow male person and because it was me every time they got crude i sort of winced but in an unflappable way like gross you know like that's gross why did you say that i don't know why they responded to me but in my mind i think it's because i had right then figured out that she was sort of a scowling someone who could take it but she would let everyone know how disgusting they were it is such a deft
2: (laughs) nuanced role as you've considered it and the essence of the character Is captured in this story for me that you asked series creator Jesse Armstrong whether Jerry had any children. Backstorying in your own mind because we know she had a husband who died. And Jesse said, I kind of imagine she didn't. Why? What do you think? And you said, I think she has two growing daughters. Maybe they don't live in New York. They don't see her often. And it's a bit of a chilly relationship. They love her. They're attached to her but they're also afraid of her. This kind of thinking, Jay, it just captures Pete Jerry to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know where that came from. It was like an intuitive thing. And I don't know if they'll make anything of it. They didn't use that little improv. I was answering a question during the Senate hearing episode. They said, do you have children? And I said, yes, I have two daughters. And they were like, well, would you feel safe about them taking away Star Cruise? And I was like, well, given the amount of oversight that these events have inspired, I think there could not be a safer vacation for young women. <laughs> and so I remember Jesse running out after they yelled cut and laughing and saying, oh, you've got your daughters in there. Then in the finale, David Roshi's character, Carl said, what about you, Jerry, your daughter's flying first class on the company dime? So I was like, oh, I do have daughters.
2: Interesting. Don't you bring my daughters into it. Don't you throw my improv daughters into my face at this key moment. It's amazing to me. It illuminates the amount of thinking that you put into your characters. But, Jay, your grimace reaction shots, let's just say, Jerry's (laughs) glasses should have gotten a Best Supporting Emmy nomination. (laughs) The work they do on the tip of her nose, whose idea was it to make them a constant motif?
1: I showed up in them on set. They were a pair of my glasses, and I asked, "Could I wear them?" I asked if I could wear my hair up, which I did for most of season one. And then, as we went along, I had other hairdos. But I just saw her as a gray eminence.
2: It's part of the reason Jerry has become such a cult hero because she is a walking meme. I mean, looking down her glasses, taking a pointed sip of water, the audience just find all of it so bloody satisfying. Are you aware on set? of what you're doing and how it's going to break out or does it just happen after the fact?
1: Oh, gosh, no, that just happened. Like the whole style of the production and what Mark Mylod and Jesse and the others have tried to cultivate is the whole group is sort of an organism. Way stars are an organism and they float that camera around and they catch behavior and they kind of egg us on. I feel like they've cast all of us to be our odd little individual selves and they want to see what happens. So we'll try to do everything exactly as written. And then they'll usually give us what they sometimes call a freebie, which is we feel free to mess it up and say it in our own words or add something and then sometimes they'll just keep the camera rolling and they'll grab footage that they may or may not use, but it's all treated like a lab experiment and they get ideas from it and we get ideas. So it's delightful, a little bit scary, but in the nicest way, like exhilarating. You make
2: it seem like a theatrical version of the way they shoot Big Brother back in the day. (laughs) I mean, it's not just the scenes that are improvised, and we will talk about that. The structure, the arc of the season, there's also some creative license that's baked into that, the general counsel part, originally conceived to be far more minor. I mean, is it true that Jerry, man or woman, was only expected to be a recurring guest star in the first couple of episodes? Frank, I think he was fired in episode six. Jerry could have gone with him. And the fact that the scripts kept coming and Jerry was still in them, that Jesse Armstrong and his team kept writing you in, Jay, must have felt so validating. That no, was
1: fantastic. You have a big show like that with the main characters, are already so complicated, and there's quite a few of them, how would they even ever give screen time to all these other characters, like Jeannie Berlin's character, and David Rashi's character, and Fisher Stevens' character, and my character, all these side characters have to be interesting and seem like very developed characters, even though I don't think they have the screen time. I get the feeling they'd be happy to write whole spin-off subplots for everyone, because they love to write character. So I think they're really appreciative when people don't come off as one dimensional or if they're able to deliver exposition in a way that seems idiosyncratic and like a real human being. Because a lot of my part is explaining what's going on legally, what the politics of something are right then, or what the strategies are. That is hard for me <laughs> to improvise because not only do I know really almost nothing about. <laughs> Law or business, but Jerry is supposed to be sort of a whiz at it. So It's a little bit of a freefall feeling. Okay, I'm gonna act like I really know what I'm talking about, and I do try to prepare when I get the script. I'm like, look everything up, and I ask them questions, and I have some people in real life that I ask questions of, and I try to make sure I really know what's going on, and I follow the same kind of plot lines in the real world that we are a reflection of.
2: You do it so bloody well. I mean, Jerry should be one of the judges on Shark Tank. I'm just saying, and as (laughs) as in real life, so in art, Jerry Kilman is a survivor. She's a lifer at Waste she's like a clam on the bottom of the Roy boat in the inner circle but they're not because of her last name but because of real skills and experience which makes her unique yet within that inner circle there is a family ceiling against which she's oddly powerless so she's got the trappings of luxury living and power yet would you say she's also at times frustrated by her impotence totally
1: I imagine that she's worked there for decades and maybe started as a Very young woman at Waystar and worked her way up and has become artful at sidestepping ambushes and booby traps and really gets Logan as much as he can be got. She realizes that he's sort of a loose cannon and he's temperamental and boiled brat about things, they all are, but that she also, I think, realizes that he's some kind of business genius. So if he says some crazy thing like we're gonna acquire the pierces, every instinct Jerry has is don't do that, that's a bad idea. If push comes to shove, I think she's gonna back that horse. There are times when she was Team Kendall briefly and when they're in the boardroom and the shit's coming down.
2: Uh, Jerry, do you wanna say anything to speak to the senior management team's attitudes here?
1: well you know i'm an independent observer uh non-voting as general counsel so i'm not sure that's appropriate (laughs) like she sidesteps conflict
2: he's surrounded by yes men she's often logan's no woman which is a remarkable role to have to play but at the end of season two episode one logan tells the family the company doesn't need an actual successor yet they just need a Placeholder name to flag to investors under the table. Could be anyone. I'm not going anywhere.
0: (laughs) I mean, it could be a stuffed shirt. Jerry. It could be Jerry. Well, you might just as well say Jerry.
1: Congratulations. Wow. Well, okay. Thank you.
0: It won't be Jerry, but Jerry's fine.
1: Thank you very much.
2: Just
0: so we're clear.
1: No, no, I, I think we're
2: clear. How does that feel to Jerry? Could be a stuffed shirt. Jerry. It could be Jerry.
1: So, in season one, I really felt like his right hand man, woman, woman man, and his advisor. And then, suddenly, in, right about that time, he was making Jerry a butt of jokes. And the minute my name was on that paper, I was some kind of psychological threat to Logan, unconsciously, even, or like, let's don't let her get any big ideas. So, constantly getting the wind knocked out of my sails. That's his noir is Once you're named a successor, your pet is on the chopping block. Kendall was supposed to be the number one boy, and then Logan wanted to suppress him, and then Shiv was supposed to be the number one, and he suppressed her. And then when Jerry's name was there, even though we were all to understand it was for show, that seemed to disgruntle him. We
2: know Logan has clearly relied on Jerry for a long time, and there's a hint that the two of them have actually had a romantic relationship that's transcended. The Office, there's a scene where Connor hints at a relationship when talking about Holly Hunter's rear Jarrell in season two, that Jerry was the new thing once.
1: That was news to me. When that script came out, I was like, oh, okay.
2: That detail, when it came to you, did that change the psychology of the relationship for you?
1: I still haven't quite processed that because when I first started, I did not really know if I was just kind of passing through. And then it wasn't until season two that I was even a regular on the show. So it was hard to know how important... Or how in the center of things the character was. When she declines the CEO job, second episode, I asked Jesse at the table read, so does that mean she's not ambitious to run the company? And he was like, well, she doesn't want it when it's in all this debt. And I keep my mouth shut about the debt until Kendall has committed. And then I walk him up to the roof and tell him,
0: That's A-N-G-I dot com.
2: Power Jerry moves. She knows where the bodies are buried, which is one of the things that makes her so crucial to Logan Roy. But what keeps Jerry at Waystar Royco? Is it the quality of life? Tons of cash, yes. But she must know, being in that cesspool, there's only so long you can swim in a sewer before you two stink of shit. I mean, how is she not? bundled up her savings, headed off to some spread of her own in the Hamptons or Nantucket. What's keeping her there? Is she an addict in her own way?
1: That's how I think of her. Just compulsive. She likes all the cloak and dagger. She's found a niche where she can be a backseat driver, which might suit her personality. Someone who influences and guides and arranges things behind closed doors and artfully dodges the bullets. And maybe that's become. Something like sport, maybe more than sport, some kind of thrill, something that there's pride of being good at and it's exciting, like being addicted to betting on the horses. And even as the bullets
2: fly, Jerry retains externally a calm. Yeah. You know, do you imagine she's always like that? She doesn't even seem to have too many friends outside the family, or is it just that we... Don't see them. Because I guess what I'm asking is, what's Jerry's life like outside of work? Does she go home, cover herself in a cashmere throw, drink a cocktail and just scream into her
1: pillows? (laughs) I don't think she has almost any time for much of a social life, but I do think she does have one. For instance, the time when we had the emergency weekend meeting at the Logan apartment after the whistleblower was talking about the cruises, and Jerry shows up wearing... Some kind of cashmere, sweatery, cape-like throw. But I had jeans and little sexy heels. Like I was on my way somewhere. A little like date night or... <laughs> what? Or, with a friend or something. I thought that was a little hint that we just don't know what Jerry does the few times she gets to have an outlet for recreation.
2: A glimpse of Alterna Jerry, <laughs> just a glimpse.
1: I had this one idea for Jerry's apartment, the infamous episode where Roman calls and it turns kinky. I remember first of all that the directors of that episode were like thinking maybe she had cats and too much chintz. And I was like, no, that's not right. It should look if like anything like some cutting edge interior designer did it and a house cleaning crew comes in every day, even though she hasn't messed it up. She probably never cooks in the kitchen, but it has all the cuisine art and correct. And then I was like, okay, I could imagine her Making a martini.
2: This is amazing. Jerry doesn't do cats. She does Lux Hotel.
1: Hotel sheep. And then I could imagine her watching the news. Her own news brand is maybe neutral to lefty leaning, either to see what the other side is saying, or maybe that's what she wants.
2: Jerry and Lawrence O'Donnell, you just blew my mind. I do want to talk for a moment about the improvised nature of the show that you've been hinting at. You know, succession is carefully scripted. We know that. We know that the writers also include lists of alternate lines, wild lines for the end of every scene that get wilder and wilder. But once they're shot, they'll often keep the cameras rolling, let the ensemble go for it in their own words, a freebie take, as you call it. Can you describe the process and what that feels like as an actor?
1: When it's happened to me, there've been a myriad of different contexts for it. So sometimes where I didn't have anything, should be funny to say, but if they keep the camera rolling as what would happen in nature, life doesn't stop, it goes on. So whatever would happen, you're forced to think what it would be. I... Don't try to be entertaining. I just try to think what would happen. Episode in season one where Logan is still coming back from his stroke and he pees in Kendall's office. And there was a version of that scene. We were trying to decide whether that was Logan. (laughs) Like what had happened. Somebody thought we should ask Logan about it. And everybody kind of looked at me and I was like, I think that's a guy thing. I could hear them all crack up at Video Village. They didn't use that, but I feel like that all becomes in the collective backstory bank, that we all begin to learn about each other's characters that way.
2: You've said that Jerry's character growing and growing is, quote, a good example of an opportunity for an actor to not think of a small part as being small, which when I heard that, I thought life advice, which brings us to the subject of Jerry and Roman Season 2, episode 4, Safe Room, Roman Roy, Kieran Culkin, with whom Jerry's had an oddly maternal, occasionally flirtatious relationship, it all boils over into the two of you doing the forbidden <laughs> phone dance.
1: You disgusting little pig. You're pathetic.
2: <laughs> oh, Jay. Jay. Jay, when you hear that scene
1: today, what do you hear? Uh, um... That was an example of where the script trailed off as she realizes he's, like, um, finishing up there. But they kept rolling, and I felt some obligation to talk. Jerry's putting it together, and it's an in inner dilemma for her where she's disgusted and appalled and amused. She can't help but say, oh, you are gross, and then immediately realizes that turns him on more. So it was kind of fun to just... Free associate, and somewhere in there I said Slime Puppy was my improv. I looked back, it's not in the script. I think I called on some other things too. (laughs) That,
2: which you've added to our dictionary, is also going to be the name of my forthcoming memoir. So I think on behalf of a grateful nation, for the word Slime Puppy alone, we are eternally in awe of you. You've talked a lot about how the improv leads to real storylines and the origins of this whole horrifyingly wonderful relationship lie in improv that you know you can root right to the beginning of episode one season one
1: no it's so funny roger when you watch the first scene i shot the first scene that kieran shot when the series got picked up was in the hospital after Logan is taken there after a stroke and we're making coffee he can't remember the name of my the husband who's passed away
2: poor bed
1: baird exactly
2: so sorry for your loss jay
1: thank you it's quite a long time ago <laughs> and roman remembers that he had a tortoise which is just an odd interesting little detail i mean love the writing on this show it's so perky and interesting and unexpected and then he asks jerry to be ceo in the event that logan is out of commission and she says no, which surprises them. But now when you look back, I think it totally has a flirty vibe. But it was way before that subplot was a twinkle in anyone's eye.
2: Out of tiny, tiny acorns, huge oak trees grow. By the time season two began, you've talked about how the producers encouraged you to cozy up to each other ahead of a scene. You said why? They said for shadowing. And you said foreshadowing of what and when they told you what was possibly going to go down jay what was your reaction was it excitement was it confusion or throwing up in your mouth just a little bit
1: the latter (laughs) i didn't have time to process it because we're on the set it was mark Mylod told me that and he was like Oh, has no one told you? I'm sorry. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes you don't want to know too much because you want that innocent reaction to it to happen organically. But I still can't say that I really know what Jerry makes of it, which is kind of exciting because I can see why cultivating relationship with a Roy as a protege would appeal to Jerry. I can see why Jerry has tender feelings for him that evolve based on the events that happen. The episode in Hungary where he's hungover, he's had a horrible bore on the floor night, and then I come get him before breakfast and I'm helping him with the shirt buttons. It's quite tender and a little bit flirtatious.
0: You know, if I were capable of any sudden movement, I would totally pounce on you right now. Uh, yeah? Yep.
1: I actually hear that a lot, usually from men in their 90s. I think that in spite of herself, she's amused by him and fond of him and maybe thinks he could be the dark horse. He's charismatic. He's cleverer than people realize at all. Like he acts the idiot, but he's not, or he's an idiot savant maybe (laughs) with an occasional good idea. I could see why intellectually she'd be like, I'm going to groom this person. This could be a useful liaison, especially since Logan began to treat me like persona non grata compared to season one. So of course I developed a relationship with Another Roy.
2: So complicated—the shifting sands, the changing power packs. So it's like Survivor. You you have (laughs) to change your allegiances so you don't get voted off, Roy Island. Kieran Colkin told us he's got no idea why Jerry insulting him turns him on. He says it's kind of sexual, kind of business partnership. I mean, Jerry is both someone who appreciates leverage, and now she has some calculated business strategy, but. Maybe she's just following your life advice of being bold.
1: I can use that. <laughs> I was sort of distressed with it. Like, I can see intellectual reasons why she would let this unfold. But how does she feel about it? Is she repulsed? Is she terrified? Because one thing about Jerry, she's very careful. Yes. She would never sleep with the boss's son after years of being so incredibly artful about sidestepping all this stuff. Maybe that's the whole conflict is Jerry does not know how to feel about it. And that is actually a really interesting thing to play. And my only choice of what to play, because it's the only thing I really am authentically feeling. It does sort of feel to me like in spite of herself, she's getting quite fond of him in her way.
2: The internet is now filled with Jerry Roman shippers. Spotify, I think it has five Roman Jerry playlists, Twitter. Really? Yes. You thought there were only four. There's now five Twitters peppered with GIFs of Roman and Jerry glancing meaningfully at each other. There's pages upon pages of Roman Jerry fan fiction. You know, how can you escalate the stakes? Do you worry at all that Jerry and Roman could suffer the classic will they, won't they fate where... Like the actualization doesn't live up to the anticipation a bit like Ross and Rachel in friends, but a bit more beastly.
1: Yeah. One thing it could do is morph into something else. I love this. So instead of it being a traditional sexual relationship that happens, I don't know what it would
2: morph into, but I'd love it if you used your improv collaborative abilities to persuade them to have Roman and Jerry move in together, get a golden doodle, settle down. I gotta say, Roman becoming balanced, finding an even kill—the first reuter sample happiness would be, it would be genuinely mind blowing. How is it for you though? I mean, you've known Kieran forever. He's been in a number of productions of your husband Kenneth Lonergan's play. This is our youth. Does it make those intimate scenes easier? Or far, far, far more awkward? Easier.
1: I mean, those scenes are going to be awkward no matter who you're playing with because they're meant to be awkward. He's just a little imp on set anyway to everyone. He's just a very free, uninhibited, quick, inventive actor. And there's something that is great about that because you're just off and running with him and you don't have to think too much. You just respond to him. There's a lot of material that we... Shot that we didn't use. There was one time John Brown, the writer, had written just a little moment. He'd seen someone on the platform in London, the tube, where mother was busy reading her phone and her smaller son, younger than here, her son, was like shadow boxing her and she was just ignoring it. And he thought that's a Jerry Roman.
0: Oh,
2: shadow boxing room is one of the great Romans.
1: I to do a little sort of improv like that, but it was hard because I didn't really have another task to be doing.
2: Jay, you've said, in my long career, I don't know that I've ever been in such an unusual story arc. It's so interesting to me and complicated and kind of shocking. How has it been for you personally, after all this time playing really a track record of nice, vulnerable, warm characters to play Jerry as a sexually empowered verbal dominatrix has it been a change of identity for you at all
1: yes i guess in some ripple effect way it's exhilarating to be middle-aged and have this unlikely identity come up not just for me but for all of womankind because it's unexpected it's anti-ageist it's feminist and it's au courant because of everything that's on our mind right now So it's part of the zeitgeist. That's thrilling. It's
2: magnificent. (laughs) The whole of succession in a way is magnificent because the role of women in succession, Jerry spends a lot of time as the only woman in rooms full of men. Yeah. But the women are always the smartest in the room. Do you think Jerry would like to see more women, Shiv, whoever in the meetings? Or is there a certain pride for her in being the only woman allowed on the albeit toxic male team?
1: I think it probably depends on the woman and their role. Shiv seemed to be respectful of Jerry, but a little wary of her. Carolina, the PR person, we were sometimes allies when Logan was worked up and we were under fire. So I think when we have common interests, I think there's a great feeling of relief of, oh, another sensible person who I know where they're coming from that we can band together. So I think it depends on what the agenda is for the
2: other. Can you imagine a succession where the women eventually take over from the men?
1: Oh, I certainly can.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I dream of a Jerry-Shiv partnership, like I dream of a Stacey Abrams, Keisha Lance Bottoms ticket. <laughs> Last question for you, Jay. Jerry Kilman, your highest profile television role to date. Is it true to say that it's taken you personally to a different level of popularity?
1: I don't think I've ever been in an unqualified hit like this before. This is a very heady experience. And it's a great shot in the arm at this point in my life. And it's a kind of interesting time for it to be happening in our culture, in our society, because let's just look about resistance and marches and protests. You look at the moms in Portland. It is time when actually women from 35 to 75 or older are the soldiers in the resistance movement. It comes down to the women are writing the postcards and the signs and doing the organizing. And there's something about it really rings true. So I think it all fits together. And that's part of the thrill of playing Jerry right now.
2: Wall of moms, wall of Jerry Kilmans. Brian yeah. <laughs> Cox said he now spends half his life dealing with fans who want him to tell them to fuck off to their face. Do you have people Wanting you now to call them slime puppy.
1: I think that would be hard to do. (laughs) Not looking forward to that day. I don't blame Brian for being concerned, being asked to say fuck off to people. Although it'd be a great outgoing message on your voicemail. (laughs) And also, I think I have curly hair and I don't dress like Jerry, and I often will get more like quizzical studying glances like she seems familiar could that be and then sometimes people know right away who i am i feel like i get it recognized but it's, it has a little more like a little secret thing to it so that's kind of nice jay
2: congratulations on everything just listening to you is a light in the darkness in every oh, single regard
1: thank you roger
2: this is roger bennett and we'll be back with another episode of the hbo succession podcast next week until then Here's some Pete Jerry Kilman.
1: So Tom, I hear you're thinking about holding a little press conference.
0: You know about that? I don't know anything. Right. I just think it's the best Tom, thing to do. Tom, you need in to shut up.
1: This isn't the time to get your conscience out and shout. Hey, look at me. I cannot tell a lie. I'm a good little boy. Look at my ding dong.
0: Okay. I don't think that's a fair characterization. Of Have that.
1: you ever heard of the Sin Cake Eater? he would come to the funeral, and he would eat all the little cakes they laid out on the corpse. He'd eat up all the sins. And you know what, the sin cake eater was very well paid. And so long as there was another one who came along after he died, it all worked out. So this may not be the best situation, but there are harder jobs, and you get a fuckload of cake.
0: Hey, can I? Can I ask you where you heard about this, please?
1: Tom, it's tough to have to tell you like this. But I'm in a sexual relationship with your mother. She talks in her sleep.
0: Hacks is coming back, and so is the official Hacks podcast. With us, your hosts. I'm Paul W. Downs. I'm Jen Statsky. And I'm Lucia Aniello. We're the creators and showrunners. Each week on the podcast, we'll break down the new episodes. We'll also have special guests, cast and crew from the show, like Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart. Hacks season three is available to stream now on Max. Be sure to listen wherever you get your podcasts or listen directly on Max.